Good morning, Calvary. Good morning to our online listeners as well. We are uh, approaching Easter. Today is Palm Sunday, a day traditionally um, through the history of the church that we reminded ourselves of what they did in the, the time, the week leading up to Easter Sunday, the original Easter, which is when God's people were anticipating the coming Savior. And as Jesus rode on a donkey and they, they lay down palm branches and their clothes before him, and they started saying, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the one who comes. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And they were anticipating the Savior had come. Now here's what I would encourage us today. To anticipate the Savior coming into our lives in our midst today. But much like the Palm Sunday experience, I want to remind us that they were anticipating something different than what God would actually give them. They were expecting an earthly king. Instead, they got the savior of the world. And so today, I want to just offer and start by saying, maybe God has something that he wants to tell you today. Maybe God wants to do something in your life that is beyond what you're expecting. Are you open to allowing God to move in such a way? We look into our lives and we wait for the anticipation of what's coming. We've been doing a series called Ebenezer, which is a reminder that, that ultimately God may lead us on a path that's different than what we think or feel. He may lead us in a direction that, that is beyond our comprehension at times. But as we trust in Him, as we abandon ourselves and give ourselves completely to Him, God will always be faithful. And as we've been going through this Ebenezer series... We've used these markers of past hope. That's what an Ebenezer is. It's a marker of past hope fulfilled by God's faithfulness, giving us an assurance of future hope. These markers of past hope of other people's stories, of other people's legacies, of God's faithfulness in our own life, of the realization that God has not forgotten us, allows us to stay faithful to Him through whatever the circumstances that we have facing our lives. So we've been walking through these Ebenezer moments as found in Hebrews chapter 11, which is often described as the chapter of faith. And so we talked about Samuel and the Ebenezer rock. We talked about Enoch and the legacy that he left. We talked about Rahab and her transformational story. Yes, her story itself was an Ebenezer moment, not only for her life, but for other people. We've talked about Noah and the fact that the rainbow is a reminder still to us today of God's faithfulness and his promise. And last week we talked about Abraham. And we reminded you that when you look at the stars, did y'all see the stars last night in all their majesty? They were gorgeous last night. When you look up and you see the stars, you see God's fulfillment of his promises that he said to Abraham, Abraham, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars. And the descendants of Abraham now include us through the fulfillment of what Jesus did on the cross. We are now, as a Christian, a part of the covenant of Abraham. So when you look at those stars, you can go, I'm one of those. As a reminder of an Ebenezer that God has a plan for you. This is exciting. This is fulfillment. But yet as we walk through these Ebenezer moments, we need to be reminded that every Ebenezer moment has three stages. The first stage is helplessness. And maybe you came in today and you're like, Daniel, that sounds awesome. I want to believe that God has something. And, but right now you feel like the water is in so far over your head that if you stuck your hands up to worship, you still couldn't reach above the water's edge. And I know 
And I believe that there are many in this room who are there. But I want to tell you, God has not forgotten you. And in the helplessness, I want you to remember that God has a plan, that God has a purpose for your life. And as we've tried to chase through and understand what our purpose is, as we try to chase through and understand how God wants to use us, these Ebenezer moments are a reminder that God has not forgotten us. Because as we walk through these helpless moments, it then leads us to a series of lament. And two-thirds of the Psalms are laments of God. You said you were going to be faithful. God, you said you were going to be there. And as we look at Sarah's story today, you're going to see decades longing for the movement of God because Sarah, more than anything else, wanted to give birth. And decades of longing after promise after promise of God's faithfulness. And then God ultimately brings victory. Now here's the one caution. The victory may not always be what you want it to be. The victory of what Jesus did on Easter Sunday was very different than what the victory the people anticipated on Palm Sunday, but aren't we glad it looked a little different? So the victory that God has for your life may not be fully what you anticipate, but don't doubt that it is probably greater than what you have anticipated. And when we learn to trust and abandon ourselves and give God the whole essence of who we are, like down to the core of our soul, we are able to resonate and reflect and walk in relationship in the presence of God. It changes everything. So as we trust these Ebenezer moments, we see God's faithfulness. And Ebenezer moments ultimately remind us to live out our faithful calling, our purpose. And as I've been trying to do, I've been trying to give a, a brief summary of 12 to 15 words. I've challenged us to come up with a 12 to 15 word mission statement, vision statement, purpose statement of how God has uniquely made you using your context, abilities, giftedness, passions. To walk with Him and to live out your life for the glory of God. I've tried to do this with every one of the ones we've come across in, in Hebrews 11. So here's a simple look at Sarah's, because Sarah was a very interesting uh, lady. Sarah existed to glorify God and others by faithfully going where the Lord led her and becoming the matriarch of a nation. What a powerful statement. But did you hear it? To go where the Lord led her to be the matriarch of a nation. Sign me up. When Sarah got this call, she was 90. Let's look in Hebrews chapter 11, 11. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring. Even though she was past the age, since she was considered the one who had faithful had promised was faithful. Since she considered the one who had promised was faithful. She was past childbearing age, right? She was past childbearing age. So let me just unpack this a little bit. I, I, I just want, I want you to really let this sink in. Last week, we talked about Abraham and how God's call on Abraham came after he was at what most of us would consider retirement age. So last week, I kind of joked with some of you, like, you know, if you're over the age of 75, you're probably settling in life. But what if God came to you and said, now is the time for you to go? And you had to leave your nest egg. You had to leave everything you knew. And you then spent the rest of your life roaming the wilderness in tents. Who wouldn't want to do that, right? And some of the 75-year-olds were like, not me, not me, right? I'm going to one-up you. 
Now imagine that you're 90 years old, and God comes to you and says, Hey, guess what? Baby coming home. Baby coming home. And immediately, three of you are about to have a heart attack and a panic attack. Right? Because here's something you need to know. I'm starting to understand this. Babies are young people's games. Let me shout it from the hilltops. Now, I, I love children. And, and I, I'm actually the pastor who loves holding babies. And I, I, I like the... I'm, I'm, I'm just... I love children. And I long for the day many, many years down the road when I get to be a grandfather. All right? But I'm looking forward to that because here's how that's going to work. Bring the babies over here. I'll hold them and send them back. Right? Because at 3 a.m.s, Whew, that's tiring. Now imagine that you're 90 years old and you get to go, you get to wake up every two hours and feed the baby. I mean, that, that would be exhausting. Can you imagine that now? I, I, I do want to caution you and pause for a second. There are many, many of you who are young who have little kids. Let me just give you this one encouragement. The day will come when sleep will be a part of your life again. And all the people who have kids who are no longer that edge said Amen. You don't feel like it right now, but the day will come when you no longer have to set an alarm clock, and they do things like fix their own breakfast. And you'll be like, oh, this is the best. And then they learn to drive. Another story altogether. But as we unpack this, I want to understand that if you were 90 and God said, but Sarah saw it as a blessing. Because she had longed her whole life. Now, I'm not promising that you can have whatever you long for. I'm not promising that if you... But what I am saying is, some of us need to understand that God has a greater promise for us in the fulfillment of living out a purpose that brings Him glory. But in order to find that, we have to believe that he can do what he says he can do. And five years in, we've abandoned because we've prayed, we've lamented, and we've sitting there going, God, the water still fills over my head. I'm crying out, God, when are you going to? When are you going to? When are you going to? And he's saying, be patient, child. In my time, the victory is coming. Do you believe that? Let's pick up the story a little more. Genesis 17, verse 15 through 17. God said to Abraham, As for your wife Sarai, notice it's not Sarah yet, Sarai, do not call her Sarai, for Sarah will be her name. And I will bless her, indeed. I will, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she will produce nations. Kings of people will come from her. And Abraham fell face down, and I love this, and then he laughed and said to himself, do you notice he laughed and said to himself, not to God, right? He's probably smart. Can a child be born to a 100-year-old man? Can Sarah, a 90-year-old woman, give birth? The Hebrew about what we're about to read in the next uh, little section, the next section talks about, it describes it the way it says it can't give birth is the equivalent, really what it says is her womb is shriveled up. Descriptive. But do you see the impossible? That God is going to do the impossible. 
And maybe just maybe God needed her to walk through that phase to see that God was going to be faithful. And Abraham laughed, but then ultimately what he does is he calls and he says, I don't want her to be called Sarai anymore. I'm going to change her name. She's now going to be adopted into the kingdom of God. Now, if you look up baby names in the modern English translation, it might say Sarai and Sarah mean the same thing. It says, princess of strength. Aw. If your name is Sarah, you're a princess of strength. That's sweet. But there's a subtle nuance when he changed the name Sarai to Sarah that doesn't always show up in our modern baby name books. Dr. Eli Lazorkin Eiserberg, which is a mouthful to say, says that Sarai means princess of strength. But when God changed Sarah's name from princess of strength to Sarah, it went from princess of strength to my princess of strength. God was saying she is now my princess. I got you. You belong to me. And the ultimate Ebenezer we have is when we submit ourselves as, as a reminder of what Jesus did at the cross. The ultimate Ebenezers we have are the cross, which symbolize where Jesus died. The empty tomb, come back next week, but we live it every day. Amen? And baptism, the place where we are saying we are symbolically dying to ourselves. It's a symbol. Baptism doesn't save you, but it's an Ebenezer. It's a saying, I'm going to die to myself, and I'm raised to a new life. And this new life, I now take on his name because I am his adopted child. I am a son or a daughter of the king. You don't look as excited as you should be. I, I am now daddy's princess. I am now daddy's king, prince, whatever, guys, you want to do with that, okay? I have worth, I have value, and, and I think that's important because what ends up happening is we sit there and go, God, if I'm so of value, why am I going through this series, this season of lament? And for decades, they anticipated. God had said, Abram, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars. And they went like, great, we have no kids. So you see these awkward stories where, where Sarah goes, okay, I'm supposed to have a kid, but maybe God's timing isn't, maybe God forgot about me. Whoopsie, so I'm going to manufacture this on my own. So he gives her husband, her servant, to have a surrogate child. What a terrible idea. And I think sometimes we sit there and we go, oh, I would never do that. But you got to understand, this is her worth. Her value is being the matriarch to having a child. And in that brokenness, where we all can be there, instead of looking at the moments and the markers of God's faithfulness, we take things into our own hands only to lead to our own demise. I think we're a lot more like Sarah than we want to admit. And I, I want to take a deeper dive into this today by looking at one example a little deeper to kind of give you a sample of this and two other uh, quicker looks at how this may work in our life. And I want to talk about the helpless stage that we sometimes find ourselves in that isn't necessarily addiction, at least that we recognize but rather the idols and sins that creep into the American church that we accept because it's just culture. You see, if we're not careful, churches are a gathering of saints that condemn sinners who share the 
sinners outside the church who share a different set of sins than what we share. And I want us to look at what we might strive and what we might make as an idol. So real quick, here's what this is. Imagine for a moment that you are driven for finances. I mean, you are a financially driven kind of person. The kind of person who gets text messages during sermons on stock market update futures. You wake up in the morning and the first thing you do is you look at the stock market. The last thing you do is you look at the stock market. You're always checking your bank account on your phone seven times a day and you don't trust it. You know the banker's cell phone because you don't trust them, right? Now that might be a bit of extreme, but somewhere in you there's a person who is driven. You're not a CPA, you're not an accountant, but you want and think about money all the time. And, and hear me, there's a nobility in providing for your family. There's a nobility in being that person, that man or that woman who cares and wants to make sure. But, but maybe you're driven because you haven't learned to trust in God. Maybe you're driven because you grew up in a poor family. And rice and beans were your staple. Beans were your meat. And your family wasn't vegan. And maybe you grew up and you thought, if I can ever do it, I'm not going back to that. And so you've obsessed over the idea of how can I be financially secure so that I don't have to go back there again. Can you hear that? Or maybe it's because your family says, the surname that we live in, we make it in this world. And so you've lived your whole life trying to appease mama and daddy and try to live up to the standard they want to have the financial resources because in order to be a successful using your surname, you know, fill in the name here, a Barry or whatever, a Jones or whatever, it, we, we make it in this world, son so, or daughter, so you go get a good career. But it's really an attempt to please the parents. Or maybe there's somewhere deep inside of you, there's this little boy or this little girl that doesn't want anyone to know how truly scared you are that you can't make it in this world. And so you cling to finances as a mean for security because if anybody found out how truly scared you were in this world, it wouldn't be good. And maybe we will need to realize that those can become an idol. And we're like Sarah trying to manufacture a baby when it wasn't time we're saying god i want to stand on my own two feet a couple other quicker examples because that doesn't necessarily hit all of us but let me explain how this also can work the idea of the person who dates the wrong people now some of you are sitting there going daniel i've been married 30 years i hope i'm not dating anyone i know but there's a lot of people in here who are still of the dating section boom right and so as you're dating, you need to understand that the, you can fall into patterns of dating the wrong person over and over and over again. And it's by definition, you're sitting there going, why do I keep dating these kind of guys? They're all jerks. And we aren't supposed to call people jerks in the Christian faith. So I'm really just like trying to love them to Jesus. No, you keep dating jerks. They're jerks. Let's just call a spade a spade. And you need to find out what is the helplessness in you that's causing you to do that. Or what about the person, for those of you who have kids, who are trying to live out your faith, live out your life through your kids? Here's how, I, I do a lot of premarital counseling, so this is the way, about seven out of ten times when I do premarital counseling, in about the second or third session, I'll sit across the table from the, the future groom and the future bride, and I'll look at the bride and I'll say, listen, this is not your mama's wedding. It's yours. 
and to see about seven out of ten times to go, oh, thank you. Because mama keeps trying to run my wedding. And you know why mama's trying to run your wedding? Because she didn't get to live out her wedding because her mama ran her wedding. And so she's living out her wedding through you. And if you're not going to break the cycle, you're going to live out your wedding through your daughter. And that's the reason you want a daughter, so you can have your dream wedding. <clears throat> or dad. It could be mom too, but you're living out your faith. I mean, your, your dreams of sports through your kids, right? My kid, if I'd had all the opportunities, I'd have been a D1 athlete. So I'm going to make sure my kids have all that. You would not have been a D1 athlete. You were five foot four. <laughs> or if your last name is Barry, you run slower than molasses uphill. You were never going to be a D1 athlete. So stop trying to live vicariously through your kids. They aren't going to be it either because they got your DNA. Now hear me, there are going to be some D1 athletes, and if the Lord has blessed you to be a D1 athlete, live it for the glory of God, but don't make it an idol. And if the Lord grants you kids someday, that's great, but don't make it an idol. If the Lord is going to give you financial provision, that's great, but don't make it an idol. But what we don't realize is sometimes we take these things and place them above the glory of God because somewhere in there there's this helpless little boy or this helpless little girl that's crying out for validity that I am something. You are. You are who God said you were to be. And trying to find hope and prosperity and, and purpose and passion outside of the noble way that God lovingly created you because God does not make junk is fool's gold. But when we rest in the presence of God and we walk in His purpose and we trust the process and don't try to take things in our own hands, God always shows up. Through our Ebenezer moments, God will use our helplessness to remind us of His glory. Through our Ebenezer moments, God will use our helplessness to remind us of His glory. Through your Ebenezer moments, God will use your helplessness to remind you of his glory. Genesis 21. The Lord came to Sarah and he said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant. Surprise! And bore a son to Abram in his old age. And at the point in time, God told him, Abraham named his son who was born to him, the one who Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And when I, his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and everyone who hears will laugh with me. She also said, who would have told Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne a son for him in his old age. Did you get it? Sarah laughed again. But this time her laughter was like, of course God would do that. Why did I doubt? What's your deepest longing today? Can you give it to God?
What's your deepest insecurity? Can you give it to God? And yes, we have a great ministry called Celebrate Recovery on Tuesday nights. And they will walk you through things like addiction. But they will actually walk you through any kind of idol. If you want more information about that, come talk to us. But the other part of what we're trying to do is we're trying to instill in us this looking inside into the soul of who we are so we can learn to give all of us to God. So are you willing to do that? So what was Sarah's Ebenezer? Her Ebenezer, her, her marker of past hope was Isaac. Do you get it? Every time she saw him, the glory of God. Couldn't have done that on my own. God brought him to me. Come back next week. We're going to talk about it a little more. But there's another Ebenezer real quick I want to cover that has a very important part of this story. And that was the idea that before Abraham and Sarah conceived, Abraham was asked to be circumcised. Now there's kids in the room, so I'm not going to go very deep. But through the circumcision, it was the shedding of blood as a visible reminder. Now, circumcision had happened in other cultures at this time, but the circumcision was a reminder that when Sarah was intimate with Abraham, she would have seen the circumcision. A reminder that God's covenant is on us. And as through that, it points to what Jesus would ultimately do on the cross. It was a foreshadowing of the goodness of God. But do you also see the other foreshadowing of Sarah's story? The foreshadowing of when's the baby coming? When's the baby coming? When's the baby coming? Christmas, the baby has come. That for generation after generation, they longed. And in every Ebenezer story that we've gone through, Hebrews 11, have you, have you noticed the, the rainbow promises of the fulfillment that God is not going to lose us? Of the fact that the stars will continue is, is a pointing to the fact that we need the Jesus to be the light of the world. That every Old Testament story points to the centrality of the day when Jesus would come and ultimately live his life. And even though he had come, the victory would look different than what he thought as they lamented, as they watched their Savior die, only to have the tomb rolled away three days later. And the tomb is still empty today. And the Ebenezer's that we have is that victory is already promised. Why aren't you living in the promise? Why are you living in the helplessness? Because I feel helpless. Good. That's an honest place to be. But when you feel helpless, as you lament, see the markers of past faith and stay the course. Because one day victory is coming. It's guaranteed. It may not look like you want it to, but it's coming. Jesus knew we would struggle with this. He kept challenging us and walking us through this. In a moment, we're going to practice communion, but before I do, I want to set the daily training. The daily training is a difficult one. It may take you more than a day. In fact, if you can do this in a day, it means that you've already been wrestling with it. But here's what it is. Know the why of your brokenness. Don't just recognize the idol. Dig down deep. Maybe with a, another accountability partner kind of person or a friend who knows you well. Why am I continually looking and seeking after these patterns of destruction? 
Why am I letting these things control and consume my life? Because you have to sometimes know the why in order to say, God, I don't want to be that way anymore and give it to him. Now, here's the good news. Jesus had a bunch of broken people called disciples. And he gathered with them and he, he reminded them of what he would do for them on the cross. So we're going to celebrate the time of communion of the Lord's Supper in just a moment. As our deacons, come on forward, if you would. We're going to do it old school, pre-pandemic way, where we're going to pass the trays. And you're going to get two cups. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you're invited to participate. If you don't, out of an honor to our faith tradition, we ask that you sit it out. But these two cups, be careful so they don't spill grape juice on you. Have a, a bread and then a juice. And we're going to ask you to take these in just a moment when they pass them out. We're going to pray, and then the deacons start passing them out. And we're going to take these together after about four minutes of singing. But in that four minutes, you don't have to sing. To begin to give God everything, to know the why, to allow him to soak into your life. And to reflect on God's promise and his faithfulness, the victory that is to come. So, Father, I thank you for what you're doing in our lives. And I ask that you take these few moments. That we might pause in your presence of your goodness and grace that we would turn our eyes to you. That we would find our worth and value in you. Oh God, help us to sense your presence even now. 